after uh, the past year and a half uh, plus, um, we're starting to figure out some things. So the biggest thing that we're worried about in athletes uh, with a viral infection like COVID-19 is myocarditis, uh, which is an infection of the heart muscle cells uh, and irritation there. Um, and that myocarditis or in, uh, irritation of the heart muscle cells uh, can make that electrical activity kind of go a little bit haywire uh, and, and really lead to sudden cardiac death on the field or, or a collapse where they, their heart stops. Um, thankfully, this is really rare and the evidence based off of the co college level and professional data is really about 0.5 to 3% of, of cases uh, causing myocarditis. Um, and as of uh, the last time I looked, there has been no uh, sudden cardiac death that's been reported uh, secondary to uh, COVID-19. Welcome back to another episode of the Play Healthy KC podcast. This is where we offer parents of student-athletes tips, advice, and inspiration to help their athletes stay active and engaged in sport for a lifetime of participation. I'm your host, Todd Cover, and today we are going to be talking to three members of the Children's Mercy Return to Play Task Force. I will be joined by Dr. Natalie Stork and Dr. Brian Harvey, both sports medicine physicians, as well as Nicole Fillingame, the Sports Medicine Outreach and Athletic Training Manager at Children's Mercy. During this episode, we will cover current information around COVID-19 and athletes as we prepare to transition from fall outdoor sports into winter indoor sports. Okay, it's great to be joined by uh, half of the Children's Mercy Return to Play Task Force. Uh, thanks to you three for uh, being able to join us today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we'll start with you, uh, Dr. Harvey. Uh, we're recording this on uh, October 14th. Um, we're, uh, you know, beyond the middle halfway point of fall sports and uh, getting ready to head into the uh, winter sports season. Can you kind of uh, give us the current state of uh, COVID-19 and uh, as it as it happened or as it as it looks in our uh, Casey metro area? Yeah, so I think that uh, COVID-19 currently in the pediatric population uh, is is looking pretty stable. And if you look at the Children's Mercy dashboard, uh, it is starting to actually decline. Um, we do have a, a decrease in our pediatric hospitalization rates. Um, and, and those are down, which is great. I think that the vaccine being available for our uh, 12 and older athletes have been uh, a, a good start, and, and fall sports, for the most part, uh, have gone really, really well. That's great news. Uh, so, Dr. Stork, uh, what are you seeing as the, uh, the biggest difference uh, between sp these sports seasons as we transfer in from outdoor sports into uh, the indoor sports? Yeah, thanks, Todd. So uh, our fall seasons, summer seasons, obviously heavily outdoor sports um, from a location standpoint. And research continues to show that the transmission rate really is uh, fairly low, uh, low risk with those outdoor sports. Um, however, that does not seem to uh, mirror uh, on the indoor aspect of things. So uh, risk of transmission 
is increased with the indoor sports. Um, so we continue to recommend uh, masking for any indoor sports, uh, whether you are vaccinated or not. Uh, in addition, for outdoor sports, if you are unvaccinated and unable to distance, uh, would continue to recommend masking as well, uh, with the exception of certain sports where the mask actually might be a safety hazard. Okay. Well, Nicole, I know is uh, heading up our athletic training team that's out in the community uh, working with our school partners. Uh, you've got a pulse on this, but uh, what, what's, what are our schools preparing to do um, to get ready for that indoor winter sports season? Yeah, so it goes back to what Dr. Stork said. The biggest difference is going to be your moving indoors. So we encourage our school partnerships and any of our school administrators to revisit their policies surrounding masking and even quarantines, because that's going to be the biggest difference moving inside. Um, like Dr. Harvey said, we are continuing to see success um, and not very many quarantines for teams, but it's still happening, unfortunately. So it's a good time to sit down with the school administration team and review uh, what you have in place and if they're needs to be any revisions. Uh, we're encouraging still a lot of the same measures that we took last year as far as using individual water bottles, um, bags for masks, bags for mouthpiece. You know, as we look at basketball season, it's good when we're looking at the benches to continue to social distance those, potentially have containers underneath those chairs so that those athletes have those individual containers uh, to use. That way they can be cleaned daily and disinfected. Uh, we are still encouraging screening, um, whether that's on site or at home. We encourage our school administration to look at um, are your athletes, your coaches, your athletic trainers, anybody that's going to be on site to take your temperature, uh, self-monitor any new symptoms that you're having. And if you're not pending a COVID test result, then those are important things to consider as you're going into your day uh, of work and um, as long as we are still contact tracing we can determine which athletes or coaches or anyone near uh, do have to quarantine regardless of vaccination status so as long as those things are still in place and being reviewed then it helps us determine things going forward and to continue to follow those local state and national recommendations on um, quarantining We'll go, Dr. Harvey, going back to you, uh, can you talk a little bit about, just kind of recap for, for everybody, what what should a uh, the process look like if a, a student athlete does happen to contract COVID-19? Yeah, I think the, the biggest thing is uh, getting in contact with their primary care physician uh, really prior to the return of sport. And it really depends on uh, whether or not that student athlete is uh, having an asymptomatic or mild infection versus a moderate infection versus a severe infection. So we'll break those down a little bit. So uh, those um, asymptomatic and mild infections where that mild infection uh, is really defined as less than four days of fever and less than one week of kind of fever, chills, muscle aches, uh, those kind of things can really uh, have a phone call or a telemedicine visit with their pediatrician really at a minimum. That way appropriate guidance and screening uh, those individuals um, can occur. Uh, at that point, um, once they get cleared, 
uh, they can go through the return to play uh, process, which we'll describe later on in the podcast. Um, as far as exercising during quarantine, I think this is where it gets a little bit difficult. I think if you're an asymptomatic or have no symptoms, um, you probably could get away with doing some light exercise and monitoring for symptoms. That's where a little bit of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the National Federation of High Schools differ a little bit. Uh, is just that returning to uh, exercise during quarantine. I think if you're a moderate infection, again, defined as more than four days of fever, more than a week of uh, uh, muscle aches and chills, uh, you've stayed in the hospital but didn't get into the ICU, you don't have MISC or that multi-system uh, inflammatory syndrome in children, uh, going to your regular doctor is, is really recommended. Uh, your regular doctor will screen for any uh, new cardiac signs. Those include uh, chest pain and shortness of breath, uh, really out of proportion to what you would expect for a typical upper respiratory infection, as well as any kind of uh, heart palpitations or feel like your heart's beating uh, irregularly, uh, passing out or feel like you're going to pass out. Uh, those type of, of questions, as well as doing a really good physical exam uh, and uh, uh, an EKG or that kind of electrical tracing of the heart. If everything's normal, again, we'll go through the return to play. If something's abnormal, uh, that cardiac uh, or cardiology referral is going to be recommended. And then for those severe uh, infections, really those are the kids that uh, have an ICU stay or have a tube in their throat called intubation or have that multi-system inflammatory sy uh, syndrome in children. Um, they need to be followed by cardiology and, and not exercise at all. Uh, and current recommendation for that is a minimum of three to six months, um, depending on how their workup goes. And so really, if you have an infection, you should be touching base with your, uh, your pediatrician or family practice doc or sports medicine physician. Um, it does seem that these recommendations change every couple of months based off of new evidence as they come out. So I think that's the biggest key when we talk about an athlete who uh, has a COVID-19 infection. Okay, well, you put it on a tee for me. Uh, so we'll go to Nicole and we'll have her talk about the return to play process. I will say that there is so much information that we're going over today and you guys have done a great job of keeping that living white paper uh, going on the uh, cm.org. And I will uh, have that link available in our uh, podcast notes so everyone can access that information. But Nicole, can you tell us about the return to play process? Absolutely. I think it's a very important thing to go over that school administration needs to be following and making sure that our athletic directors and coaches and school nursing staff and athletic trainers are all on the same page. What we recommend first is establishing that healthcare team. What does that look like? Because we have to have those individuals on the same page when it comes to, okay, we know that we have a po positive COVID case and now what? And so once they are evaluated um, by a physician and we know that they might have more symptoms, uh, we need to make sure that we are evaluating that as we go through the return to play process. So we recommend athletic directors, athletic trainers, a team physician if applicable, uh, the school athletic trainer and the nursing staff, and sometimes even the coach all being involved in that right up front. So establishing that chain of command when you have a positive case, then also what do each of those individuals do? What role do they have so that everybody's on the same page when going through this return to play process? And so that process um, is typically five stages, but it is going to vary 
between uh, individuals. So it may not be five stages for all folks. It's very unique depending on if we can go through each stage of the return to play protocol. So as long as they are not developing any symptoms, we can go through that pretty easily. At any time during the return to play process, if they have any symptoms, they should be referred back to that primary care provider for evaluation. And so that day one, day two looks like light activity, walking, jogging, um, making sure that nothing is appearing for at least 15 minutes. Uh, probably not 100% of our maximum heart rate, but we're getting there between 70 and 80%. After that first couple of days, day three, we wanna add in our simple movement activities, some running drills. Um, we can, we're gonna increase that time period to at least 30 minutes, and then also bump that uh, intensity up to maybe 80%. Then we're around day four, again, as long as we're progressing through those first three days without any symptoms, we can move on to day four, we can progress to more complex training for at least 45 minutes. And then we're also still kind of staying at that 80% maximum heart rate range. Uh, and maybe some light resistance training could be thrown in there. Uh, about day five or six, uh, for both of those days, we're gonna try normal training activity for at least an hour. Again, making sure no symptoms are returning. If all goes well on that uh, day seven and, and day five, we can, or excuse me, stage five, we can go back to return to full activity. Um, and uh, again, as long as they're progressing pretty easily through that without any symptoms, then we can uh, move forward. But it's very important that everybody's on the same page. Those healthcare team members are communicating what's happening at each of those stages because at any time they need to go back to that primary care provider for clearance and possibly further evaluation. Dr. Harvey, it's uh, the, the task force is called Return to Play. And what, why is the emphasis so much on the return part of sport, returning to sport after COVID? Yeah, I think, I, I think that it initially started because we just didn't know enough about COVID after uh, the past year and a half uh, plus, um, we're starting to figure out some things. So the biggest thing that we're worried about in athletes uh, with a viral infection like COVID-19 is myocarditis, uh, which is an infection of the heart muscle cells uh, and irritation there. Um, and that myocarditis or in, uh, irritation of the heart muscle cells uh, can make that electrical activity kind of go a little bit haywire. Uh, and, and really lead to sudden cardiac death on the field or, or a collapse where they, their heart stops. Um, thankfully, this is really rare, and the evidence based off of the co college level and professional data is really about 0.5 to 3% of, of cases uh, causing myocarditis. Um, and as of uh, the last time I looked, there has been no uh, sudden cardiac death that's been reported uh, secondary to uh, COVID-19. And so I think we're doing a good job of really screening uh, and testing if needed um, and making sure we're going through an appropriate return to play, looking for um, those symptoms that would make us concerned. Uh, and again, those symptoms are really chest pain and the heart beating funny and uh, shortness of breath that seems a little bit more out of uh, proportion to what you would expect for that upper respiratory infection that they've had in years past, um, feeling like they're gonna pass out or passing out, those kind of things um, are really what we're looking for. Um, and, and those sometimes can be very similar to deconditioning, uh, which we know that after an infection, 
uh, you're gonna be a little bit deconditioned, a little bit out of shape. Uh, and so um, the effects of this COVID-19 may not be 100% obvious. So, and so really taking time, going through the return to play and, and checking uh, your athletes, your, your students, your, your kids that are playing sports and activity uh, for these symptoms um, is really gonna be uh, needed moving forward. Well, Dr. Stork, we'll come back to you. Um, how how are, how do we limit uh, the spread of COVID-19 and, and just kind of talk a little bit about the, the benefits or, or the, the conversations that need to be had around student athletes and, and a vaccine? Yeah, so, you know, I think we've got different ways we can try and uh, mitigate or uh, decrease the risk of transmission. Um, early on, we started with, you know, simple things, masks and distancing, and those very much still work. Uh, but as we're headed into year two of this, um, it's harder uh, to continue that with um, living life as well and playing sports, right? Uh, the most effective way to truly prevent uh, severe disease is with the vaccine. And so um, in general, we would recommend that all children eligible uh, for the vaccine, which is currently 12 years and older, uh, we would encourage them to be vaccinated um, to help protect themselves as well as other contacts who may not be able to be vaccinated. Uh, if there's any questions or concerns about the vaccine, definitely encourage uh, families to talk with their primary care physician. Uh, generally, this vaccine has been shown to be overall safe and very effective in limiting the risks and helping reduce transmission. Um, but there definitely continues to be questions and concerns that arise with the vaccine. And so encourage that conversation with your primary care physician in addition, Children's Mercy does have uh, information on our website and would encourage um, individuals to uh, resource that website as an opportunity to read more about the vaccine as well. Well, that's great. And uh, I really appreciate the three of you uh, taking time out of your schedule and also for all the work that you've done over the last uh, year and a half with this, uh, this, this uh, living white paper that has existed on on the website and uh, been a great resource for not only uh, families in the community but also uh, athletic administrators and coaches so thank you we appreciate you joining us for another episode of play healthy kc and thank you again to doctors natalie stork and brian harvey and to Nicole Fillingame for giving us the most updated information on COVID-19 and returning to play. For more tips and information to help youth sports parents, please subscribe to this podcast and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you have questions about today's show or ideas for future episodes, send us an email at sportsmed at cmh.edu. Until next time, play healthy, Casey.